First um, John, it's in the back of your Bible. If you've got a Bible, I do encourage you to get it open this morning. If you've got something to write with, of course, you could get something to take notes on. I encourage you to do that. We're really happy that you're here uh, this morning. If you don't have a Bible, you're welcome to look on the screens. Um, we've been in this study, First John, now. I think this is the fifth or sixth week. It's hard to believe. And uh, just as a review, I want to remind you kind of the outline of First John. I've cleaned it up a little bit from previous weeks, just for those of you who are tracking, and mainly because it was getting too much to put on one screen. But First John uh, really is about this. John, close friend, disciple of Jesus, who knew him well, found the real meaning of life. You want to know what it looks like to live the life you were created to live. Here's what it looks like. You need to live in a personal relationship, an active, daily wonderful, joy-filled relationship with God. That is how you experience life as it is meant to be. It's to experience it with God. And listen, if you don't experience that day in and day out, listen, John is not talking about religion. He's not talking about the one-time decision and it's just fire insurance in case something happens after you die you don't know about. He's not talking about weekly mundane church attendance or open when you hear sermons like, oh Lord, please, when are we gonna be finished with this? He's not talking about just kind of boringly sitting around singing words of song trying to get through the thing. He's not talking about all that. John is talking about a real experience with the living God. That is what life is all about. That in a real way, you, friend, I, we can experience life with God. Jesus said this, he came that we might have life and have it abundantly, like life better than you could ever imagine. And John writes his book to help us understand how we can have this life and how we could grow in this life with God through his son, Jesus Christ, who he sent to live, die, and rise again for the forgiveness of sins and new life for all who would trust him. It's a great book, great book. We've been, he, if you didn't, if you haven't been here or you haven't got it yet, John works with some primary themes and it's kind of like a bumblebee flying all around a flower. He comes around, he goes around, he comes back around again. He, the, the book, sometimes if you're reading it, you could go, what is he talking about? Because he talks about it and he goes to something else and he'll come right back to what he was talking about before. But I don't want you to miss these themes. And I've been trying to teach these week in and week out as we've just walked through the scripture together. He's helped us to know some assurances. What does life look like when we live it really with God? We experience life as he created us to be. Well, first of all, he talked about that living relationship with Jesus, living in his grace and experiencing his life within. But then you get these assurances. He talks about obedience, how we will walk closely with God, walking in the way that Jesus himself walked, having a heart that's submitted, that's yielded to God, that's desirous to do what God wants for us to do. And when we do wrong, which we're going to do wrong, that we would be quick to acknowledge that we're not holy. We're not trying to become something on our own. We need God's grace daily in our life. We need his cleansing of sin. We need his power within to make us the people he desires us to be. Obedience. Secondly, truth, that we would learn to abide in the things that are true. That we would learn to dwell, make our dwelling place in the bedrock of the truth that he has given us in his word. We also have seen some of those things that could threaten our relationship with God, losing sight of eternity or deception, which we've talked about in weeks previous. And I always encourage you, not because we're trying to get our numbers up, but if you miss a week, I'd love for you to go back. It's a great resource we have online that you can listen online. It doesn't replace being here, but you can do that so you can continue to be a, a, a student of God's word and understand the full context of each book. But today, 
if you couldn't already tell by the video that we just showed, we're going to be talking about one of the, the primary themes of John's book that we haven't really gotten to yet. We're going to be talking about love. It's the third assurance that we have. It's the third explanation of, that John gives us to understand what does life really look like when we live a real life with God. We experience his full life in us. Let me tell you what it looks like. It's going to look like partly your life is going to look like a life of love. A life of love. I skipped over a passage in chapter 3 and the course where we ended last week at verse 7 of chapter 4. We're going to cover both of those today. And I skipped it intentionally because both deal with the same theme. But from the onset, I do need to and want to contrast. I know right out the gate, the message this morning is called real love. And here's why. Because I know right out the gate, we all laughed at the movies. I know. Uh, Especially that one. Hair support, awesome. Uh, But I know that so much of our understanding of love, and here we are on Mother's Day. What a great day. Y'all are awesome. Moms are awesome. Um, And y'all exemplify love in greater ways than we could ever express to you. But I know that so much of our understanding of love comes from culture, or it comes from experience. And not all of that is bad. Maybe, what was your favorite movie out of the ones that you saw? Okay, you don't have to actually say it, but um, some of y'all I'm embarrassed. Some of the guys were like, 10 things I hate about you, or whatever it is. <laughs> um, Michelle was laughing hysterically because when it got to Notting Hill, I quoted Julia Roberts' line. It's like my favorite movie. I'm, and I don't know why I quoted it. I'm like, I'm just a girl standing in front of a boy. Ask it. Like, she just starts like cackling. I'm just like, yeah, I'm embarrassed, but I love that movie. Um, no shame. We can like it. But the reality is, um, we, I know that these things pull at our heartstrings, and I know they speak to a lot of our experience and emotion, but I don't want these things to define for you what the kind of love that John is talking about when he talks about love. Sure, there may be hints of it, but I don't think there's a fullness of expression, for John is talking about love um, in a different way. So you can experience love in this life with a lot of different motivations. Um, you can have natural affections. You can have philanthropic aspirations. You can have sexual affection. Um, there's all kinds of ways that, honestly, you can, I mean, it's love to love those, even Jesus said, who are easy to love. Um, but the reality is that's not what John is talking about. John is talking about a love that is deeper, perhaps, than any love that you could ever experience in human relationship here in this world. He's talking about a love that is truer, more dependable than any love that perhaps you've experienced. Maybe that love that you desire to experience. He's talking about a love that is more satisfying than is found maybe in any other relationship or experience that you would have in this world. He's talking about a love that would last longer. It would bring you more joy than you ever could think possible. See, John is talking, when he talks in this book of 1 John, he's talking about a supernatural love, a love that is beyond this world, yet we know it in this world. And in fact, friends, he is talking about, in essence, that this love is real love. If you want to experience real life, and a part of life is wanting to experience real love, would you agree? You're not ashamed to admit that part of how God's made us. 
But often we clamor around looking for the fullest experience in that love when maybe perhaps we look in the wrong places and John comes on the scene helping us to know real life and he says, I want you to know and understand real love <laughs> because it's, it's awesome. And this kind of love can only be explained by a supernatural work of God. So let me show you this morning in our text Like I said, there's two passages. I actually want to start where we left off last week, and then I'm going to go back to chapter 3, and there's a reason for this. But chapter 4, starting in verse 7. I'll read the passage here in chapter 4, and then we'll talk a bit about it, and then I'll read the passage in 3. We'll talk a bit, and then we'll be done. He says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows love. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him. And he in us because he's given us of his spirit. And we have seen and we testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he is in God. So we have come to know and to believe that this love that God has for us, God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is the love perfected within us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment for as he is, so also we are in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, He's a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he cannot see, who he has seen, excuse me, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. What an awesome passage of scripture. Anybody else fired up with me? Okay, great. (laughs) Happy Mother's Day. Um, No, this is awesome. Love, love at its truest, love at its essence, supernatural love. A couple of just basic things that I want you to understand, but sometimes we need to hear and understand those basic things, don't we? And build our lives around them. One pastor said once, uh, The greatest men in life are not those who try to master many things, but who've been mastered by the greatest things and have been set on fire for them. And sometimes we just need simple understanding of the greatest things 
of life. First thing that John comes out the gate to help us understand is this. When you're trying to understand real love, the first thing out the gate to understand is this. God is love. God is love. If you look there in verse 8, just go back to it. He says, anyone who does not love does not know God. Why? In your Bibles, I'm asking you to read your Bibles. Because why? God is what? Okay, let me try this again. Okay, look at verse 8, everybody. Anyone who does not know, uh, does not love, does not know God, because why? God is love. And then if you looked out at verse 16, he says, so we've come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. Then he says what? God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. The deepest starting place that you could begin with understanding what does real life mean and understanding this real love is to understand, to dive in to the character of God, to the very essence of who God is. If you go deep in the person of God, you will find that he is a God of love. From all eternity, God has always been a God of love. Love. He's not saying love is God. In other words, anytime you find any expression of love, God is there. No, that's absolutely not true. For God is a holy God and there is a certain kind of love that he is. But it's not saying love is God. He's saying God is love. God is love. And if you think back to those beginning times before the world was ever created, before you and I were here. Within God, the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, Jesus spoke often in his ministry of the deep fellowship and communion and love that all three shared from all eternity. There's never been a time where God did not exist. And always in his existence, he has existed as a God of love. He is the greatest of gods in every way and essential to his character, indispensable to his nature is the reality that he is love. It oozes out of him from the deepest part of his core into every way of his life. He is our God. The God who sits on the throne today, who reigns eternal and forever will be, is a God who is love. Amen? He is the best. And he has always existed in this perfection of love within himself. And the reality is he's just full of goodness. He's full of grace. He's full of beauty. He's full of truth. He's full of life. He's full of everything imaginable that you could think would be lovely or admirable or excellent. This is who God is. He is brimming over with goodness and excellence in every way. And the beauty of God is that he is so full that by his nature, he is a giver. He is an overflower from his goodness. That is essentially what it looks like to be a God of love. He never has need. He always seeks to meet need. He is a God who always over flows. He is always looking because he is so fine in and of himself. He is perfect. He has no need for anything. 
He is looking constantly, meaning what it means that he's love. He's looking to do good for others. He's looking to overflow, to share, to give of the inexhaustible fountain of love that he is. Isn't it awesome? So think about the amazing nature of the God who we know and who loves us. God is love. As much as the Holy Spirit is part of God, love is a part of God. Um, as much as light is from the sun, love is from God. You cannot have God without love. It is part of who he is indispensable to his nature, but then you see it manifested in his life. In other words, John secondly saying, don't just understand that God is love, but understand how he has loved you, friend. Don't just think about it in the philosophy classroom. Get out on the street and experience it in your everyday life. For this love that has overflows from his nature has overflowed in a way that you and I can experience it and taste it and say with our own life and our own heart, he does love because he has loved me. (laughs) And I wouldn't be the same if it weren't for his love. He says, go back to your scriptures in verse nine. He talks about it being in his nature, but he doesn't stop there for he talks about how it's been manifested. He says, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us. And he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. I can't imagine the kind of love that God has. It, it, it boggles my mind. And for all who are parents in this room and have any love for any children in this world, you understand that, that God who existed perfectly with his infinite joy and delight and love and communion with his son from all eternity past would choose in love for us to give up his only son for us all. And not just to give him up for some life that would be better per se for him, but he gave him up to come and live in the dust, to take on fragile, broken humanity, to be rejected and tortured and ultimately killed, and not just killed any death, but killed on the cross, the worst of death, worst of deaths. And it wasn't for anything that he deserved, friends. Why did he die there? It was for the sins that you and I had. It was for the death that we deserved. Love that would give himself in our place. Though nothing was required, out of the depth of the goodness of his heart and character and ways, love gave what cost the most. When we had nothing, he's giving everything so that you and I who are lost and dead in our trespasses and sins and far away from home and rebellion to the rebel to the king and deserving of punishment and death so that we could be brought back in. So that we, what he says 
And this love of God was, was shown among us that God sent his only son into the world we just talked about so that we might do what? What does it say? So that we might live through him. Do you have a gut reality check that your life If you experience real life that John has been talking about, the reason that you experience it, the way that you experience it, it's because he has chosen to love you. If he had not loved you, if this is not who God was and this is not how he acted, friends, you would not have life. But because he does, is a loving God, because he has given of his son, we now might live through him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but he has loved us and he gave his son to be the propitiation for our sins. What does that mean? Is that a word y'all use every day? Like, will you use that tomorrow at work? Probably not. Propitiation. But it, it just means that God took the place of us. He bore the wrath that we deserved. John is sees two things attached to this love of God. He sees God giving us life from this love and he sees God taking away our sins from this love. If you appreciate that there is life that can come from death, in other words, that you love, then look at the cross of Jesus Christ and see your God there. Why is he there? He's there for you. He didn't have to be there. He's choosing to be there. He's there before you even think about going back to him. He's there. God demonstrates his own love for this, Romans 5, 8, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. See God there in your place. Loving you with love the world is not worthy to know the truest, the most real of all love given for you. Isn't that great? And John wants us to connect something. He goes, look, you wanna know what real love is? This is real love, folks. You don't have to look for it in every other place. Look for it at the original place. Look for it in God himself. Look for it in God. And he goes, see it as God's unilateral action. In case you're confused, some of us have a, have a problem when it comes to love because we do not allow ourselves to be loved unless we feel lovable. Isn't it right? Many of us struggle to experience and to live in the kind of love that we're talking about this morning. You might distance yourself from it and comprehend it intellectually, but experientially you might think, I don't know about that. I don't know if that's for me. Because so often we attach our identity, we attach our worthiness to receive love to the things that we've done, right? Whether or not we feel lovable in a moment determines how loved we allow ourselves to really be. And John says, in case you have that kind of problem, which many people do, I want you to understand this. In this is love. Not that you have done anything to love God, It's not anything about what you do, who you are, what you have done to deserve this. It's not in anything you have done to love God, no. In this is love, not that you have loved God, but what? That that God has loved us. It is completely, wholly separate from any action that you could ever take. This is who God is, and this is what he has done, regardless if you like it or not. 
God loves you. And I'm not talking about your salvation because we must receive this love with hearts of surrender and cries of faith, believing that he loves us and can save us. That's what it looks like. But the reality is he loves you. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and he gave everything when we had nothing. we might be safe from our sins. Love is and love starts with God. I want to be the kind of man that experiences real love. And I know that it's not maybe the most manly thing to talk about. Oh, I just want to be loved well. But deep, deep down, I know I need to be loved well. I want that, and you want that too. What does it look like to experience like the kind of love that ravishes your heart and makes you want to write a love poem (laughs) that wakes you up every day with joy and in your deepest moments of pain holds you tight? (laughs) What's it look like to know that someone is with you and for you always and that they mean what they say? that you can count on their words? What does it look like to have promises of goodness and grace forever and ever? What's it look like to experience real love, friends? It looks like you coming to a place where you believe that this is who God is and this is what he's done for you and Jesus to make this possible and you opening up your heart and life to begin to see and savor the precious love of God in Jesus and for you to live in it. It is an eternal, inexhaustible fountain of love that is offered to us that will never, ever, ever run dry. It pours out of who God is and it is available by what Jesus has done and we can receive it by his grace, amen? And we've got to learn. If we wanna experience life as God wants it to be, we've got to learn to live in light of his love that when we wake up, our hearts start wandering, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love, but we bring it back again. Our eyes start going all over the place, but we fix them on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, that over and over, the constant striving of our life is not to do something for God, but to become more aware of what he has done for us and to be wholly satisfied in it. Amen? This is real love. But John doesn't stop there. He doesn't uh, stop there. He goes on and says, we are called to love. The implication of this in our lives is that knowing this love of God, we are then called to love. We are called to love. If you look back at verse seven, he says, beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. Let us love one another. That's the basic command here. For what? Love is from God, and whoever has been born of God knows God. Anyone who does not love, this is strong now. This is challenging. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. If you look down at verse 11 and 12, he says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also then ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, if we love one another, if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. If you go down to verse 19, 21, he says, we love because he first loved us. 
If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he does not love his brother who he sees, cannot love God who he cannot see. This is the commandment that we have from him. Whoever loves God also ought to love his brother. John is connecting for us the love that we experience in God to the love that we ought to show toward others. Here's what he's saying. He's saying that if you understand that intrinsic to God's nature is a nature of love, and you also understand that you have been born of God into a new nature, that nature not being of the flesh, but a nature of the spirit, the spirit of God, then when you are in Christ, and if you say you have the new nature of God intrinsic to your nature now, not nature without God, but the nature of God in you, intrinsic to your new nature is that you have a nature of what? Of love. Now love becomes your natural disposition. It becomes an indispensable part of your heart and of your life. In other words, he's not... Sometimes we read the commands of God and it's, it's almost like we... We read it, it's like plastered up on the wall. Okay, love one another. And we think, okay, God's given us this great example, so now I've got to figure out how to love one another. And we're going to work real hard at this, and we're going to try real hard, and God's given us this example, and we need to just go out and do it. I'm not saying we shouldn't love, but here's what I'm saying, that the approach of that perhaps is the wrong approach. Because every time we see a command, it's something that God is wanting to do in us. It's not something that we need to do to copy God. It's something that God is wanting to do in us. God makes us people of love. It's who he is. And when he brings us into his family, he gives us a new nature. And that nature is not a nature of anything but his nature. And that nature is a nature of love. That's why he says, whoever abides in God. In other words, if you make your dwelling place in God, then you're also going to make your abiding in love. Because you can't dwell with God without dwelling in love because he is love, which he's already talked about. Part of who he is in you, friend, if you are born again believer, part of who you are because of Christ in you, you are now a lover in the same way that he is a lover. The new birth creates in us this wonderful connection with God. And therefore, we are not imitating God's love. We are experiencing God's love and extending his very love to others in our life. We're not trying to produce some kind of love that is not a love that God produces. You see what I'm saying? Hear me. We are not imitating God's love. We are experiencing God's love And through our experience, extending the very love of God to others. As I love people, it's not a love from Barrett. It should be a love from God through Barrett. You tracking with me? I don't set myself to go and just go, oh, I've got to go love some people today. What I need to do first and foremost is to look at the cross of Jesus and say, oh, my goodness, look at how God loves me today. I can't believe the amazing extent of his love for me. As far as the east is from the west, how far has he removed his transgressions from us? As high as the heavens are above the earth, how great is his love for us? I can't believe that God loves me today. I want to experience your love today, God. 
And as I live in the world, I pray that you would flow through me your amazing love so that others would experience the love that I've experienced in you. That, friends, is how we love. That is real life. The very love of God channeling through us. It means we must know God's love for us. Um, And we must live in his grace. And we must have a heart, have a prayer. It says daily, God, would you allow me to love others as you have loved me? It's beautiful. What does this love look like? I, goodness, I don't have time. This, that's the beauty of how we do, uh, if you're new here, by the way, it's how we do small groups in Sundays. Our small groups are in the same exact text as where we are on Sundays. And that's why some of you who aren't involved in authentic Christian community, I don't mean just going out and having drinks with some Christian people. I mean actually talking about things of God and things of the heart, having people that know you and pray for you. That's why I encourage you. Why would you neglect that opportunity? It's one of the greatest gifts to us. And I encourage you, if you don't have a small group, you could do that this week where you'll study these passages in even more depth. Makes me feel a little bit better sometimes when I don't quite get finished, although usually I try to. And I'm gonna try to right now. How does this look in a practical day-to-day basis? Robbie, do you mind to turn the air on? I'm getting hot. Anybody else getting hot in here? Some of y'all are getting hot in here. Okay. Got some head nods on the back row. I see, the reason I see sweat. Looking at you, Evan. You're a sweaty mess back there, buddy. I see sweat on your brow. Um, what does this look like in a practical way? I'm gonna cover this really quick and you're gonna go more in detail this week in groups. First John chapter three. If you look back now, Starting in verse 11. Let's look at this. For this is the message that you've heard from the beginning. That we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anybody has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, and yet you close your heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or in talk, but let us love in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God, and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and that we love one another. Just as he's commanded us, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him, and by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. Lest you think this is some talk that's high in the pie of the clouds and just... Fluff, 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 Mother's Day mess. Love, love, love. This is real, folks. It's not fluff. This is real. 
John has a heart to help you see tomorrow morning when you wake up, what does it look like to live in light of this real love? And he makes it really practical. And he gives an example of Cain and Abel, doesn't he? And he says, love one another. You've heard this message from the beginning. In other places it says, like Jesus said. Somebody asked him, what's the greatest commandment? What did he answer? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. In other words, know this love from God. And then secondly, what? Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Paul says it so profoundly. He goes, if you love, you fulfill all of the law. In other words, John's saying, this is the message you've heard from the beginning. It's kind of simple, folks. If you could just get in your heart that this is the primary work that God wants to do in you. Make you more aware of his love and make you more reflective of his love as you live your life. If you would be transformed into one who would experience real love, oh friends, you'd be living as God intended you to love. But it's practical. And then he gives this example, we shouldn't be like Cain. And I don't have the time to go back and tell you the story of Cain and Abel, but the reality is, what is he trying to point our attention to? He's not just saying don't murder. Obviously, if you murder, you probably aren't loving in the moment. But he's getting to the motivation. He says, why did Cain kill his brother Abel? Why? And he's getting at something really practical that happens deep in our hearts. And he says, Cain murdered his brother Abel because his brother's deeds were more righteous than his. In other words, Cain had a problem in his heart. In other words, that he could not celebrate the good that was happening to somebody else, his brother, because he was so insecure in the mess that was happening in his own heart. In his heart, he was not more glad for the interest of others than he was protective of his own interest. In his heart was not selflessness. In his heart was selfishness. Nothing was wrong with Abel's sacrifice, and Cain could have repented from his evil sacrifice. But instead of doing the hard work of repenting, of humility, of praising, celebrating somebody else who is good in a moment of your own despair, Cain said, I'm going to kill him off to make myself feel better, to alleviate the guilt, to put myself back in the first place, preeminence of notice of recognition. That gets practical, doesn't it? I'm stepping on some toes here. Because it sucks when your classmate makes a better test score than you and you've maybe studied harder or feel more deserving. And you want to point out their character flaws or bring them down in a moment. Criticize them. Attack them. Talk to other people about them because you in your heart are having trouble seeing their interest as more important than your own as giving, as celebrating them, rejoicing in what is right, even though maybe for you that means it costs. He's speaking to the heart in a practical situation. Do we live humbly before others? First Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind. Love does not envy, love does not boast. Love is not arrogant, it is not rude. Love does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but does rejoice in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never ends. Yeah, faith, hope, and love, these three remain, but the greatest of these, friends, the greatest of these is love. And you can't separate this love, friends, from the practical way that you choose to live your life with other people. 
in his heart, he wasn't living the kind of love that the, the Father has lived before us and lives in us. For he was consumed with himself. He wasn't oriented toward the needs of others. And in case we miss it, he says in verse 16, he gets even more practical. In a practical way, you want to know how God loves us? By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And thus, we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Sacrificial love. When's the last time you love where it costs you everything? And you mamas in the room, you already get an A plus on this. Praise the Lord for all the mamas here. I've, I saw labor and delivery. Praise the Lord for mamas. You lay down your life for your children. But in a day-to-day basis, sometimes I think, oh, we all think that we're loving people. If I asked you, I guarantee you think you're a loving person. Isn't that amazing? We always self-assess with the best of attributes. But if you compare your attributes to the attributes of God and he's saying, this is the kind of love that's gonna come out in you in practical ways. Lay down your life for your friends. Love people when it doesn't, when you don't have an interest in it. Celebrate them when it's good for them. Maybe it's not good for you. Believe in them. Give yourself up for them. If anybody sees a man who has a need, give them what they need. How can you say that you love God if you're not actively loving people? Friends, let's get past the immaturity of loving with word and talk. Anybody can love with word and talk. You want to know love? I mean, you should love with word and talk. I'm a words of affirmation person. Please write me a note. It makes my day. Love with word and talk. Thank you, Lord, for that. But that should not be the end of our love. Friends, let's grow up. Let's experience more of God's love for us, oozing out of us to love others. Let's word love in deed and in truth. In other words, in the daily grind of life, allow God to transform you to be a person who gives of yourself, considering the needs of others above your own, who overflows out of the love that you know in Christ to take care of people and their practical needs, even if it costs you everything. And before they're deserving of it, some of us only love when We feel like people deserve it. Thank goodness that God didn't love us like that. Amen? We are the first mover in love, always, before people deserve it. When they're at their worst, we give our best. Let's love as God has loved us. I'll close with a quote from Amy Carmichael, who's a missionary in India. I could keep going. I want y'all to go to Mother's Day brunch if you have that plan. And I don't want any mamas to be mad at me. Y'all are awesome. So I will stop here. Oh, there's so much more. Friends, do you get it? (laughs) This is real love. And don't you want to be the kind of man and woman that lives every day full of the love that God has for us, completely satisfied? and that's known in your life. Listen, there's one thing that I have really had a heart to be known for. I may not be the best teacher. You could go to a lot of other churches in our city and find more gifted, skilled expositors of the word. I may not be the best administrator, this or that, and you, you could fill in the same thing. You may not be the best at X, Y, or Z. But friends, I want people to know that I love them. 
I've tried to create a culture here in our church where we openly say, I love you, even among dudes. I say, I love you, bro. You have to touch the bro on the end or it's weird. I love you, bro. I'm not ashamed of that. Because Jesus said, this is how they're gonna know that you're my disciples. You're gonna be different. Namely, you're gonna be people who love like I have loved you. They're gonna know you by love. And 1 Corinthians 13 says, we can have all the words we want to. We can have all the sacrifice. We can have faith that moves mountains. But if we don't have love, we are nothing. If there's a kind of person I want you to be, it's a kind of person who lives in line of God's love for you and who lives to love others as he has loved us. Amen? Amy Carmichael. I, I said I was closing, and now I've actually got to. She wrote a little thing called Calvary Love, and after this, we're gonna transition to a time of communion and close. She said, if I have not compassion on my fellow servant, even as the Lord has pity on me, then I know nothing of Calvary Love. If I can easily discuss the shortcomings and sins of others, if I can speak in a casual way of child's misdoings, then I know nothing of Calvary love. If I can enjoy a joke at the expense of another, if I can in any way slight another in conversation or in thought, then I know nothing of Calvary love. If I can write an unkind letter or speak an unkind word, think an unkind thought without grief and shame, then I know nothing of Calvary love. If I'm afraid to speak the truth, lest I lose affection or lest the one concerned should say, you don't understand or because I fear to lose my own reputation or kindness, then if I, if I put my own name above the highest good, then I know nothing of Calvary love. If souls can suffer alongside and I hardly know it because of the spirit of discernment that is not within me, then I know nothing of Calvary love. If I allow myself to dominate, if my thoughts revolve around myself and myself alone, if I'm so occupied with myself that I rarely have a heart at leisure from itself, then I know nothing of Calvary love. If I cannot be in honest happiness or take the second place or the 20th for that matter, if I cannot take the first without making a fuss about it or my own unworthiness, then I know nothing of Calvary love. If I do not give a friend the benefit of the doubt but put the worst construction instead of the best of what is said and done, then I know nothing of Calvary love. If I take offense easily or if I'm content to continue in cool unfriendliness through friendship, though friendship may be possible, then I know nothing of Calvary love. If a sudden jar can cause me to be speak impatient or unloving words, then I know nothing of Calvary love. For a cup brimful of sweet water cannot even spill one drop of bitter water, even if it's suddenly jolted. If I say, yes, I forgive, but I cannot forget, as though the God who twice a day washes all the sands on all the shores of the world could not wash such memories from my mind, then I know nothing of Calvary love. Oh God, from all that dims thy Calvary, oh Lamb of God, deliver me. Give me the love that leads the way, the faith that nothing can dismay the hope no disappointments tire, the passion that will burn like fire. Let me not sink to be a clod. Make me thy fuel, O flame of God. Let's know more of his Calvary love. Amen? Let me pray. God, thank you for the word that you've spoken to us today. We need God desperately to be people who know you and know your love for us. 
God, I pray that if there's anyone here that has not opened their heart to know and to believe and to receive this amazing love that you have within yourself manifested by the sending of your own son for us through his life, death for our sins and resurrection from the grave, we can be saved and be filled with this love that never ends. I pray if there's anyone here that doesn't know it, that today would be the day that they simply admit that they need it, confess their sins, call out to you, Lord Jesus, to be saved and receive from you the gift of life that you give, not because we love you, but because you loved us. Oh, thank you, God, for your love. Lord, for all the others who have known your love, I know that there are some here who just need to cry out, oh God, renew my understanding of your love for me. My heart feels dead, it feels dry, it feels shriveled up. I feel far from you, God. I'm not living daily in light of your great character and love. Help me, Lord, fill me once again. Satisfy me in the morning with your steadfast love. Thank you for Jesus. And Lord, would every person here pray, oh God, would you help me to love others as you have loved me? Help me not to be content loving the way the world says to love, but Lord, help me to keep in view the way that you love me and the way you call me to love others. Flow your love through me, God, to a world desperately in need. Would others know that I'm yours by my supernatural love, your love in me. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You'll stand as we close this morning. We have communion available here at the front. This is the table that Jesus himself has spread for us. It's his broken body and his blood poured out that is the highest demonstration of who God is and what he has done for you and how he loves you. So I pray today that you would come to the table with joy-filled hearts, confessed sin surrendered lives to remember and receive that all of your life and the love you experience is not what you have done, but what he has done for you. And that you would come with a fresh commitment to love others as he has loved you.